want to say a word of thanks to Reverend Ben Butler for last week and to our music ministries. It was a wonderful Sunday. Sarah and I and our family were out visiting with our son in Metairie and went to their church to worship with them last week, but I was able to watch on YouTube, and y'all had a blessed service here, so thank you uh, for last week. Uh, we started a Lenten series two weeks ago looking at how is it we can hold on to our joy even in the midst of difficult days. And I didn't have time that day, but I wanted to share the lectionary gospel reading for that day actually talked about the temptation in the wilderness, that that was the first gospel reading of the Lenten season for us this year. And you think about that moment in Christ's life, that moment of of facing down the devil in the wilderness, but also having been alone in the wilderness for weeks and, and weeks of fasting as well. Those had to be difficult days. Imagine how dark that day was. I had the opportunity uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago to stand in that place where we believed the wilderness temptation happened, in, at least in that area. And, and to have one of the participants on that trip share, you know what? After Genesis 3, just like this wilderness, everything's wilderness. From Jackson, Mississippi to Jerusalem, all is fallen and all is wilderness. But just as it was for Jesus, before he steps into that moment, it's the Holy Spirit who walks with him and leads him into that moment. After that moment is over, it's just like the Heavenly Father to send angels to minister to him in that moment. When we walk through, as this Holy Land trip participant said, when we walk through the wilderness, it's just like God. In the hard days, in the difficult days, in the wilderness days, to come and to say the sweetest things to us. And that's what he'll do. Last week, we, two weeks ago, we looked at that you and I can just hold on to our joy in the midst of whatever struggle we're in because of the forgiveness of God, that we ought to be overwhelmed in our spirit for what was gifted to us in the cross and resurrection of Christ. And even when we're going through it, even when there's struggle, even when there's persecution maybe for faith or struggle for faith, we can hold on to the cross and know that God loved us that much. But today we want to look at another reminder, a way in which even in difficult days, you and I can hold on to our joy. By the way, if you want to do the math, I'll let you count. Read from Genesis to, to Psalms. What book talks more about joy than any other book until you get to the Psalms? And that has more instances of joy than any other book in the Bible. It may surprise you. Do you know the book from Genesis to Psalm that talks more about joy than any other book? He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with joyful shouting. Job. It's the book of Job. That even in struggle, the joy of the Lord can come. How can that come? We hold on to and remember the great salvation we have in Christ, the forgiving grace of Christ, but also we see it in Jesus' prayer here. The importance of gifting our lives, sharing our lives for other people. It's part of the ways in which we hold on to our joy. Where is this, by the way? Where is John 17? It's, it's sitting between two critical events in the life of Jesus' ministry. You go back to John 14, and it's basically, we don't have the Last Supper here in John. Instead, we have the washing of the feet. 
So you've got that moment where there's been feet washed, but also we know what else has happened there. There's been the dipping in the cup of Judas, but not just only the calling out of that, but also the calling out of Peter, you're going to betray. These moments of predicted betrayal, and then what comes after this chapter 17? It's the arrest. It's the arrest, it's the trials, it's the physical and emotional suffering that we can't understand, and then, and then the cross. Those are the bookends that happen between these few intimate moments that we get of, of, of John 14 to John 17, these beautiful words that Jesus says about his Father's promises and his provision and his presence. And then this high priestly prayer, this long prayer of Jesus in John 17. That's where we are. We're in between these two dark, terrible events. And in the middle, what do we get Jesus praying about? What is it that saturates his prayer? And before we even talk about that, the theme that we find here is is a theme you may not think you're going to find. It's joy. Six of the seven uses of the word joy in John's gospel come in these chapters. In between predictions of betrayal, let us leave this place until you get to the arrest and the cross. Right in the midst of all of that, Jesus talks about John 15, 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. The next chapter, he tells them about the grief that they have, but it's going to be turned to joy. John 16, 20. I say to you, you're going to weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. But you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Verse 22, no one can take your joy from you. And then dropping down to verse 24, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask it, you shall receive it, that your joy may be made full. And now in this priestly prayer in 17, 13, that they may have their joy made full in themselves. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of betrayal, with people who are about to all flee. Not just Peter, they're all going to run. That's what Scripture testifies to. And it's joy, joy, joy. And it's not just joy. You see it here, but you also see it in John's epistles too. It's this word of the fullness of joy. It's not that you're going to have an inkling of it, but I'm going to fill you and it's going to be so full that it's going to actually spill out of your lives. And that's what we're going to see in Jesus' life here in John 17. It's that kind of joy. You go to the, all three of John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, verse 4, 1st John. I write these things that your joy may be full, 2nd John 1.12. Having many things to write to you, I would not write them with paper and ink. I hope to come to you to speak face to face that your joy may be full. John uh, epistle 3, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of a dark season, Jesus, you see it in his life. You're going to see it later in Paul's life. You see it also in John's life. There is joy everywhere. And now we get between these chapters, and what is it we see? First, you see these words, not just joy, but you see these words, and this is key to our joy. This is one of the keys. Just try to count the many times that Jesus talks about the Father giving and sending. 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and there may be more. That's what I could find. Just in these few chapters, if there was ever a moment in all of human history for someone to say, I'm going to circle the wagons, I've got to protect myself, this moment is all about me, my preservation, my protection before I go to the cross, but all you get is this celebration of ministry to others, this other-centeredness, this self-giving love of the Father and of the Son. You can't miss it. Now listen, as we talk about this, I want to be very careful. Some of us need to Sabbath better. It's scriptural. If you've been reading in the prophets with us, God does not want his people to miss Sabbath. There are times that we need to take a step back for self-care. You actually see Jesus partly doing that in this prayer in John 17. You see him routinely doing that in his public ministry. Some of you need to hear that and repent of you always being available to people. You need to repent of being a doormat or a martyr, and you need to step back and say, there are times where I need some alone time. There are times where I need to have times of prayer, not always be doing So don't miss me on that. If there's a deep wounding in your life, if there's a craziness to your schedule, you need to step back and allow the Lord to minister to you and others to minister to you, okay? Don't mishear that. But you watch Jesus' life here in a season where he, he could have made it all about himself. He doesn't let himself get in the way. I had heard a story of a, of a pastor years ago who was in China. They were on a tour group and the bus overturned on its side, and there had been a fire that had started in the bus. And so he, he immediately jumped out of, pulled himself out of a, the window of that and ran along the side of the bus, on the top of the bus, but the bus was on his side, to get to the door, to get people out, to open that big door up. And he tried with all of his might, but he couldn't open that door. And he tried and tried, couldn't. So eventually he just went back to windows and was opening them up and pulling people out. But he caught out of the corner of his eye, somebody else go to the door, turn the handle, and open it. And most of the people got free that way. And then he realized what he had done. He stood on the door, (laughs) turned the handle, got in his own way. All of his life, his weight was on that, and he had become the obstacle of what of what needed to happen there. It's a, it's a word for us that if, if, if my agenda, if my preferences, if my family, if my need to control, if I'm putting myself, if I put myself in the middle, I can become the obstacle of what God wants to do and to release in my life. It's if, if it's about me. I love what Elizabeth Elliot said. I encourage you to read her story. Uh, She lost her husband who was killed um, decades ago on the mission field by an unreached people group. Uh, You can see that movie, End of the Spear, or read read about Jim Elliott's testimony. But to, to see her response to that, that's what I'd encourage you to read. What do you do with that kind of hurt and that kind of sadness? And to see the Lord not only heal it, but but the way he redeemed that in her life. But I love what she says here. Because obviously she could have turned inward. And you read her story and you see that she didn't. But here's what she said later. There is nothing more conducive to joy than, yes, 
delighting in the Lord. There's nothing like that. We'll talk more about that in weeks to come. There's nothing more conducive to joy than delighting in the Lord. But that's not actually what finished her sentence. There's nothing more conducive to joy than forgetting about yourself. And and I can stand on that door and I can get in the way. Um, What you see in Jesus' life in John 17, if you and I want the joy of the Lord, then we've got to live the life that God has lived among us. To look at his life, it's a life of giving, it's a life of sending, it's a life of other-centeredness. And you watch Jesus' life here, John 17 in this prayer, And it's about others. Now again, Jesus took times away. Don't miss that. At the beginning of this prayer in John 17, he does pray for himself. Father, would you glorify me now? This is my hour. Would you glorify me? But you watch most of this prayer. Go back and read this whole chapter. It's not about himself. It's about his father. It's about his disciples that his father's given to him. And it's also about you and it's about me. And he's praying for us at his moment of need, at his moment of hurt, at his moment of being forsaken. The the heart of this prayer, most of this prayer, is about others. Now listen, this world, this world with its attitude and its cynicism and its sarcasm and its neediness, it will take the life from you. I want to pick on your former pastor. I've actually heard the sanctified Jim Genesee call those people joy suckers. I didn't say that. He said that. This world can sometimes just suck the joy out of you. Um, Jesus knew people like that every day. I heard it said one time, and I haven't done the math on this. I'll let you do that. But if, if you go from the wise men to, to the end of Jesus' life, it may only be the wise men. Maybe also Mary of Bethany. They're the only two people that don't come to Jesus with a need. Give me something. And we're surrounded by needs. We're surrounded by people and we're surrounded by hurting people. We're surrounded by needy people. We're surrounded by sinful people that will take the life out of you. Even his own mother had points where she would come to him expecting things from him. Everybody is taking in Jesus' life and then you add on to that just him preaching the truth and people running from it, barking at him and just the hurts and the struggle that Jesus went through, and yet you watch his life, and you watch his prayer here, and it's self-giving. It's other-centered. It's for others. When we're going through a, a difficult or hard season, or we're just going through, let's confess it, grandparents or parents or anybody at work, or anybody else in retirement, or anybody who has friends, or anybody who's dating, anybody who's whatever it may be, all of us in this culture, it's a frenetically paced culture. 
It's racing from one thing to the next. And in the midst of this, this betrayal, in the midst of about what's about to happen after the garden experience, he's about to be arrested. Here we find Jesus stepping back and praying in this moment. And y'all, in the busyness of our schedules, we have to not miss the joy of God. But that joy so often comes when you and I will take a breath and serve somebody. Or you see the Father give, send. There was a Christian author who, and I can't remember if I've shared this with y'all, but I've just remembered this story. A Christian author who, in one of his books, talks about, and he's a, he's a guy, right? So he's got three young kids. So when it's bath time, what do you do? Everybody in at the same time. Let's go. You just get it done. You're very efficient. He knew there would be a day when that wouldn't be able to be possible anymore. All three were very young. Everybody in. He probably even had them turn. Now turn. Scrub each other's back. Turn. You know, he just was very, get in, get out, right? And so he had gotten the one kid out, got the oldest daughter out, got her in pajamas. The young boy was still in the tub. And then his middle child. I want to read to you what he says about Mallory. Because Mallory, this middle child, some of you may have been there. This middle child, full of energy and life, began to do her dance. And this Christian author says she began to do, and I believe he called it, let me make sure here, the D-da-day dance. I don't know if your middle children have that, but she could never be still. And she did the D-da-day dance, getting out of the tub and drying off, and she began to do it there. And he said to her, in the midst of trying to get things done, get kids through bath, to the next thing, he said, Mallory, hurry. She just kept running in circles doing her D-da-day dance. And he said, no, Mallory, it's not what I mean. Don't hurry up your dance. Hurry up, get dried off, and let's go. And here's what she said. She, she asked a very profound question. Why? I want to read to you what he said. I had no answer. I had nowhere to go, nothing to do. No meetings to attend, no sermons to write. I was just so used to hurrying, so preoccupied with my own little agenda, so trapped in this rut of moving from one task to the other, that here was life, here was joy, here was an invitation to dance right in front of me, and I was missing it. And so I got up, and I did the D-da-day dance. Whether it's busyness or hurt or struggle, we don't want to miss what's right in front of us. Jesus has the cross in front of him. It's the heart of why he's come. I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. For myself, yes. But I, I want to pray to you and I want to pray for my disciples now who are about to just go through it for the next several days. And then I also want to pray for my disciples to come someday. He takes the moment and you and I need to do that with our church family, with our own family, with our community and our work. It's how you and I hold on to joy. It's one of the keys that you and I make sure our life, our heart, has the same orientation as our Savior. Where's the need? Who needs to be prayed for? Who needs a moment of my time? That's his life all the way all the way to the end, and ultimately 
on the cross. That's part of that joy set before him. That's why he endures the cross, this joy of self-giving. We've got to be about that. I was blessed to be a part of Manita McLemore's uh, service a couple of weeks ago and to hear a poem she had written about the importance of holding on to joy. She went on to say, all the joys, you have to. Let us claim them every day. I had spoken with a member of our church within the last couple of years going through a difficult surgery. And that person shared with me, yes, I'm nervous and I'm worried. And I'll be honest, I don't feel a peace about this. And in that person's prayer time, just praying over and over again about the surgery and about what's coming and, 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 and the anxiety of that. But then in that moment, realizing, you know how many people are praying for me and my church family right now? Why don't I pray for them? And so his prayer life turned from his coming surgery to you. And he began praying for people that he knew were praying for him. And then the joy and peace of God fell on his life was given a letter this past week that I want to share with you. Well, let me take this. It was addressed to our church from a church in Jackson. It's one of the churches that participates in the basketball league that our church puts on here every year. And that church doesn't just participate with their kids, but they actually are very intentional to bring kids that are in the Stewpot Ministry Inner City Jackson program with them. So those kids have been coming to our basketball league uh, for years, so they're very intentional to bring them. And here's, here's what this person from this staff member on this church said, uh, wrote a letter to our church this past week. Those kids appreciate the opportunity to play. For many, it's the only chance they have to put on a uniform and to be part of a team. She said, I noticed early on this season as I was watching these kids who played with our church from the inner city, one of them, uh, their brother had been hit and killed by a drunk driver while walking the streets of Jackson. Another player uh, had just brought his first child home before he played on this team a few weeks ago. Another player had been shot last year in the city. And many of these kids actually miss these games because they just have to work for their families. So the Madison League at your church is a welcome oasis for them. They get to be a part of a different kind of community when they are on your grounds. I know that organized leagues just don't happen. There's always people working behind the scenes, like these referees who are so good, the people who open and lock up your gym. But I want to thank Jordan Ergel and Julie Tipton. Jordan runs the league every year. He does a terrific job of all that he does, but he sets an inviting tone. After one of our games early this season, there were some box meals left over for some kind of meeting, and Jordan encouraged our kids to take them home with him. They eagerly accepted, and Julie tipped and noticed. And from that point forward, there were always multiple box meals available after games for our kids. Thank you, Madison Church. I know Jordan's got a lot on him. There's a lot of things he's doing in his life. I know Julie's got a lot on her, and there's things going on in her life. But to stop and to see a moment 
And to say, even in the midst of all the chaos of the things I'm doing, to be open to, and you see that in Jesus' prayer life, let me stop and pray for these disciples and for those to come. Oh, the joy of being able to serve and to give. I like what James Allen Spark says. We can't plan for joy or put a specific date or time on our calendars when we plan to savor it, which I am tempted to do. Joy oftentimes overtakes us while we're busy at something else. That's what we find Jesus doing here. Yes, praying for himself. We need Sabbath rest. We need, there are times to pull away. Don't mishear me. But this joy that we see is found in chapters that are all about giving and sending and prayers for others. How is it you and I can find that joy, knowing maybe it's been elusive because we're not taking advantage of those divine appointments, those moments to pray for or to serve others. We, we rest in our great salvation in Christ Jesus. His forgiveness of our lives, yes. But some of that joy comes when you and I will catch the moment and to bless others. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this model we see in your son Jesus how he loved his disciples to the end, as John says in his gospel, and now we see him loving them through his prayers. We see the Father loving them, that he will give to them and continue to send them. Father, we pray for ourselves. If there are wounds that need to be healed, I pray we bring that before you. But also I pray for your Holy Spirit to to help us to see and to catch those moments where we get to be a part of Christ's kingdom purposes, to serve and to bless and to go and be sent. And Father, we pray that we might know the fullness of your joy in that and know that it's your joy as well. Father, bless now our response to this, your word, and throughout this season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.